This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. You're listening to the Kitchen Confession podcast with Chef Mary Mamalidi. I think that food science is a collaboration of different sciences because food is so, so complex. It's a collaboration of chemistry, combination of engineering, as well as kind of there's science called the sensory science. I actually remember I did like a fun little experiment at my company to try to make a pretzel just for fun. And it tasted amazing the same day. I was like, wow. And it was gluten-free. So we're like, I think we've like hit a jackpot. And then on the, on the next day after the weekend, it was rock hard. <laughs> so we're like, okay, could use some work. Like shelf life is a huge part of the food science part of it to be able to allow it to last a long period of time. That's Michelle Todd. She's a senior food scientist at Riverside Natural Foods Limited, which is home to the brands Made Good and Good to Go. Hey, Michelle, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Oh, so excited to get chatting with you and talking all things food. Let's begin with what do you do as a food scientist? Okay, yes, I have very a lot of difficulty explaining what I do as a food scientist. <laughs> um, a, a lot of my friends and family still don't know what I do, but I will do my best. So um, how I like to describe it is like, if you, if you think about all the products on the grocery store shelves, like an Oreo or like a granola bar, et cetera, there's a lot of food out there. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's someone behind that who's developing those recipes, who's like, you think when you get food from a restaurant, you think about the chef most, most times. Um, but you often don't think about the quote unquote chef or the food scientist behind the product that you're eating. Um, so a food scientist is kind of like the background behind a lot of the products in the market where we develop the recipes to basically run those products, like, like a cookie or an Oreo or a yogurt or whatever. And there's a lot of detail about basically being able to run those products, like an Oreo consistently day in, day out to get the exact same Oreo every single time for a consumer to be able to be like, great, um, tastes like an Oreo rather than, oh, it's a little bit burnt today or, oh, it's a little bit soft mm-hmm. today. Like, I wonder what's happening it's also about scaling up. So for example, you know, we are baking in your home um, and, you know, you can throw it into your oven. You make a small, let's say 200 gram batch. Uh, Another part of our role as a food scientist is to be able to scale that batch up to let's say a thousand kg an hour. Right. So how can you mix and, you know, maybe extrude or however you make a cookie, how can you make that quickly and get the exact same product coming out of the oven every time? So that's kind of like a really brief background of what a food scientist does. So does shelf life factor in as well? Yes, absolutely. And that's actually a huge part of it. I actually remember I did like a fun little experiment at my company to try to make a pretzel just for fun. Like we sometimes we just randomly do stuff in the lab mm-hmm. and it tasted amazing the same day. I was like, wow. And it was gluten-free. So we're like, this is fantastic. So I think we've like hit a jackpot. And then on the, on the next day after the weekend, it was rock hard. <laughs> so we're like, okay, could use some work, but like shelf life is, he, it's, a, it's a huge, huge part of, of the food science part of it to be able to allow it to last a, a, a long period of time. And that includes well, packaging as well. Exactly. And I would imagine because then you don't want to affect the taste of it. Exactly. I was looking for the word compromise. It wasn't coming to me. So that word a lot at our company. <laughs> we never want to compromise on taste. <laughs> Why did you decide to study food science? Um, really, I loved cooking. I was always in in the kitchen with my dad, helping him cook and just really Mm -hmm. intrigued by cooking. 
Um, so I thought about kind of, you know, maybe being more so towards like culinary or a chef, but then mm -hmm. through high school, I, I loved science and math and like, I'm, I'm a really big nerd. So I'm like, um, <laughs> okay, I have a decision to make, <laughs> but then, um, my brother actually, he went to the university of Guelph, which is where I went and mm -hmm. he was in agriculture. So more around farming, but in that kind of sector, he noticed a program called food science. And he was like, Michelle, I think this is perfect for you. It's a combination between cooking, which you really like, and mm -hmm. science, which you really like. So then I just, I went, I, I read about it and I was like, this is interesting. So yeah, I went for it. So what do you think is special about food science industry? So I think that food science is very a collaboration of different sciences. So mm. It's a collaboration of chemistry. You know, I think perhaps uh, a lot of chefs also kind of know some of the background, maybe not into like, the minute details, but chemistry. So how do carbohydrates and water and proteins interact, um, especially over shelf life? Mm -hmm. um, a combination of that, a combination of engineering. Again, like I said, scaling up from a lab to a, a full production line has a lot to do with engineering and let's say, uh, mass balance, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then as well as kind of there's, there's science called the sensory science, which is very engulfed in uh, a lot in the food industry, which is obviously just um, the sensory. So ha having people taste and like rate and properly use that data to be able to make decisions on products. And that's where you would find me. So this has <laughs> now become a job interview for you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking, but yeah. I'll send over my references. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Other than that, I'd just say it's really, really applied um, because food is so, so, so complex. Like it's really complex and it's not easy. There's so many impurities. It's an organic, like it's organic, right? It's, it's, it, we're literally taking product from, let's say from making yogurt from cows, right? Like there's variation in how much protein or how much fat is per season, like mm -hmm. in the summer or in the winter, winter has more protein because they're feeding with feed rather than just grazing or, you know, oats, like working with oats, it's going to vary, like it's going to be bigger, smaller, et cetera. So there's just like, it's not, a, it's not a, like a very like fine science, like something like in an analytical chemistry lab. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the other part that's really unique. Are you into playing a couple of games with me? I'm ready. Okay. Rapid fire. Tell us one thing most people do not know about you. I am a twin. Ah, okay. Would you rather go camping, hiking, boating, or dancing? Ooh, hiking. And then your favorite ingredient to cook with? Ooh, butter. <laughs> if you could only save one thing in a fire, what would it be? Oh, okay. Um, my glasses? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I would lunch for those as well. Okay, so you have time to yourself, no interruptions. What do you do? Watch TV. Name or sing a song that always puts you in a good mood. Ooh, I've been really into this song called Silk Chiffon by Muna. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's a bop. Maybe if you sing it, it'll come to mind. It's not very popular. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to refrain. <laughs> I tried to get so many people to sing this. Something that Matt our editor brought up. He loves one of the brands that you work with, which is Cookie Pal. So it's a dog biscuit, but it's said to be safe for human consumption. Am I right? Yes. Okay. He hasn't been brave enough to actually try one, <laughs> but he does say they smell amazing. So 
as a food scientist. Have you personally had to sample any of the Cookie Pal biscuits? Absolutely, I have. (laughs) Really? Yes, absolutely. And really, they're actually fantastic. They're probably one of my favorite products that we make because it's not too sweet. It's just like a nice molasses cookie. It's really nice. Oh, he talks about it so much. Honestly, I don't even have a dog. I don't own a dog. And I'm ready to go out and buy them. Oh, my God. He says they're amazing. You really need to give them, give them a go. Give them a try. They're really nice. <laughs> They're a little hard. I will, I will say that. So be careful with the teeth. But So do you have to sample a lot of foods throughout the day? Yes, I, I do, which has really turned me off sweets, which is unfortunate. No but way. Yeah, yeah. But so these days, or at least for the past few years now, I've been, it, it sounds disgusting, but I, I've been spitting out, like, because you have to do sensory tests every day, literally right. every day. So yeah. I, I eat it, I, like, evaluate it, and then I'll often, like, just have a little spit cup um, so that I don't have to, like, ingest however many grams of sugar, et cetera. Okay, so how often throughout the day are you testing? Uh, well, for me personally, um, sometimes it's, it's, not, it's not necessarily every day. It could be five times a day. It could literally be, or like 20 pro- products a day. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that's, we are, are, as a food scientist, I'm more so in the realm of like tasting it for shelf-like reasons. So right. after two months, let's say we taste it, we evaluate it and we decide whether or not um, it's acceptable at that month of age. Whereas someone like a quality technician, um, which is somebody who's on the floor of the production facility, will likely mm-hmm. taste it every one to two hours, like literally to make sure that the sensory is right, um, coming off the line throughout the day kind of thing. Do you get to play with flavors? Let's say you taste something and then you're thinking, okay, well, maybe we could add a little more of this or a little more of that. I'd say that's actually quite a big part of the development process is kind of tasting it and being like, mm, it could use salt or mm, it could use a little bit more sweetness. It's lacking. So definitely right. like we're the, we're the initial as like food scientists, we're the initial kind of developer, like tasters, developers to, to bring it to what we think is proper. And then we might, might share it with either a, a larger pe- group of people and, and ask them to rate it or perhaps to like maybe our president or our marketing team. Yeah. Or yeah. So yeah, definitely. So part of your job is to help scale up recipes. So what exactly does it take to turn, say, my nonna's special homemade sauce into something that we could find on shelves at the store? Um, okay, so basically, there's a lot to think about when it comes to, I guess, shelf life number one. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to figure out basically some markers, like analytical markers, to make sure that what you're making on the stovetop matches what you're making um, when it comes to the production level. So let's say percent moisture, maybe we want to measure the percent moisture of your sauce, the water activity of your sauce to make sure there's no room for microbes, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but really I'd say like step one is measuring by grammage, <laughs> every single thing that you do, not 20 tomatoes. It has to be in grams, not right. um, 30 onions. It has to be in grams. And then uh, putting that recipe into a hundred, a hundred percent kind of recipe, which I'm, I'm not sure, but I assume chefs already do. So that's mm-hmm. fine. And then you just scale it on up to the production level. And, and I'd say you just have to make sure that you have those, those like markers in place, like a percent moisture or like a water activity or like a, maybe just a sensory or like a cook time. Um, and then compare it to your control batch essentially. So you're, mm-hmm. you're on stove, you're on stove recipe, have that like little cup ready to be able to taste it next to your scaled up version and say, Hey, it's the same, or, Hey, 
something's lacking, we might need to change like the process a little bit. We might need to cook it longer than we normally do on the stovetop. Let's try again. And let's try for a 20 minute cook time instead of a 10. And oh, wow, it's much closer, but we still need more. And you continue on and kind of like keep testing and tweaking until you get the right recipe. And then Mm -hmm. you prove that that increased cook time or whatever, um, that you could repeat that and be like, okay, yeah. So I just repeated it at 22 minutes cook time and it still has the perfect sensory. It matches the stove top and we're ready to rock and roll. Like, you know, that's, it really is oftentimes some trial and error. It's funny because the first thing that stood out to me was you mentioned about moisture and water content. Yeah. Because reducing that, from what I'm gathering, reducing that in these recipes helps with longevity. Yep. It's very well known in like the microbiology industry, which mm-hmm. again, that's another science I didn't even touch on. Um, but there's like a certain amount of active water, which is water activity that that allows bacteria to grow. So there's literally like a chart that shows like 0.5 water activity versus 0.7 will grow yeast. This one will grow bacteria. This one will grow pathogenic bacteria, et cetera. So it's very like well-known in the industry, what water activity um, your like sauce needs to be at in order to be able to last X amount of time. And now I'm just curious, what, how long does it take for a product to go from the conception phase to the shelf or the production line? Or I'd say on average, if you already have the equipment, like you don't have to buy any new equipment. I'd say mm-hmm. on average about two years. Wow. Okay. So I wasn't expecting that long. Yes. It's a long, long process. Some of that is of course the, um, maybe the, the, the sales side of it or the marketing side of it, but mm-hmm. in order to develop the product for sure, it takes like probably at least a year to be able to do the bench shop first right. and then do trials on the line. And then etc right and more tweaks or whatever else or a shelf life like yeah oftentimes sometimes the limiting factor can be shelf life because if you don't know how it's going to react over time then like you could taste it after two months and be like oh no like this is supposed to be last a year but it's rock hard so we need to start from scratch or we need to troubleshoot or that kind of thing so yeah i'd say on average about two years I'm Mary Memolini, and you're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast. Today, I'm talking with Michelle Todd, Senior Food Scientist at Riverside Natural Foods Limited. So we went to our social media, and we asked if anyone had any questions for you, and a whole bunch of questions came pouring in. So we've picked a few, and if you're up to it, we'd love to ask you them. I'd love to hear them. Okay, first one. What is your favorite snack and why? Ooh, I've been really, really into the, what are they called? Harvest, like pea snap thing. Yes. The harvest crunch, like the, almost like they're like chips. Yep. The snap peas. Oh my goodness. I've they're been so really good. enjoying them and they're really good. Like they're pretty good nutritionally too. They have like nine grams of protein and seven grams of fiber compared to like a chip. So mm-hmm. I'm like, why have I not been eating these more often? Those are good. And then what does a typical day look like for you? It varies a lot, but I'd say there's some lab work where I'll be, you know, developing a, trying to develop either a new bar or an improved, let's say, granola bar or cookie or cracker. Mm-hmm. Um, I might hop out to the production line or facility to help either troubleshoot any issues that's happening on the line that day. Like perhaps mm-hmm. maybe something's, something's happening with the product and they might need to ask R&D what's happening. Um, perhaps some data collection. So maybe measuring uh, different parameters, like I told you, in terms of, let's say, moisture, et cetera, to see how the product's behaving that day. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I might be at my desk um, for the other half of the day looking at different things, like maybe a nutritional box table or maybe looking at uh, different options for maybe we have an ingredient shortage. So that's mm-hmm. an interesting point. Um, during COVID and now with the situation in Ukraine, there's been a lot of ingredient shortages through for all of the food industry and all of the industries in general. Mm-hmm. So we've had a lot of work these days trying to come up with um, ways to deal with ingredient shortages. So either contacting suppliers or et cetera to look at that kind of thing. So it's a jumble of things, which is nice. What are the credentials needed for this type of employment? There is a food science degree. So it's a bachelor of science at mm-hmm. the university of Guelph and other universities. However, um, I do have a lot of coworkers and, and my previous coworkers as well who have other science degrees. So for example, microbiology, for example, engineering, like chemical engineering, et cetera, bio, biological engineering. Um, I will say that typically there's a science degree associated with it. What aspects of the job do you like the most and what do you least like about your job? Mm, good question. I'd say the aspect I like the most is the kind of production facility. So as you can imagine, like the how it's made show, it's really fun being in a production facility and seeing that much product get pumped out and being part of like ensuring that the quality and that the product is at its best, like every day. I really, really enjoy it and working with kind of like the operators, et cetera. My least favorite (laughs) is tasting dog treats. No, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that might be my favorite, actually. I rewind that. But I'd say the least favorite is probably just, and this is probably going to sound absolutely insane to you, but is the multitude of tastings we have to do. Those days, I feel so sick afterwards. I'm like, oh, no, this is not good. You know, I could imagine. Yeah, right? Yeah. Okay, another question. What is something I would least expect from or that surprises me from this type of employment? Ooh. I say basically, I mean, a lot of the things that like people get mixed up is that we're not anywhere close to nutritionists. That was one of the questions. There we go. Yep. What's the difference between food science and nutrition? Well, I think like even just the the background that I gave, you can see there's nothing really I talked about in terms of nutritionally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say nutritionists know a lot about how food um, is dealt with in your body. So a lot of like, you know, how it breaks down or like insulin or things like that. And mm-hmm. like what your body needs to really survive, et cetera, um, or thrive. Whereas a food scientist, like we do not go that far. Yes. We help create the nutrition facts tables, but we don't necessarily know past that. We don't know how seven grams of sugar is going to go through your body and affect you, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you find yourself critiquing flavor combinations when you are eating out or other products? All the time. (laughs) All the time. It's a curse. (laughs) And it's not necessarily that I'm like necessarily snobby about it. I'm just like, okay, like I can taste this or I can taste that or okay, like it's a little sweet or it's a little salty or et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, all the time, literally all the time. How long does it take before food really spoils? Now, this one is definitely dependent on the product. Right. So there's shelf-stable things like, let's say, canned tomatoes that probably mm-hmm. last three years because um, it's like aseptically like pasteurized or uh, packed and pasteurized so that it kills literally everything in that can and it's no longer exposed to any oxygen. So there's no way 
bacteria is getting in there. So it's it's basically good for life, something like that, like a canned product mm-hmm. versus let's say um, a granola bar can let's say last a year or two, but really what's happening is it's deteriorating in quality more so than it's going bad and you're going to get sick from it because it's more so like, oh, it's going to be dry or it's going to be hard or it's going to mm-hmm. be taste old. You know what I mean? Yeah. Versus like yogurt. So I used to work at a yogurt company too. That's only going to last like, let's say two months, right? Um, or milk is only going to last 30 days because it just, it spoils so much quick, so much quicker. Um, because the water activity, like I said, the water activity is very, very high for things like that. See, and you mentioned milk because when I go over to Europe, we've gone to the Azores, we've gone to Italy, and I've seen milk cartons on shelves, non-refrigerated shelves. How is this possible? Yes. So those ones are like ultra high temperature processed um, and they're packed like almost aseptically similar to like what I was talking about before. Like a canned product. Exactly. Whereas in Canada, we only pasteurize our milk. So that only kills a certain level of bacteria um, to allow it to last for 30 days versus in Europe, they killed almost everything, which lets it last shelf stable before it's opened um, for, let's say, I don't actually know the number, but let's say six months. So that's really the difference. And I think the reason Canada doesn't do it, and I could be wrong, Mm -hmm. um, is because we don't necessarily like the flavor of UHT milk. If you taste it, it tastes a lot more cooked. You can taste like the, it almost gets more brown, more caramelized because it's at a higher temperature. Right. Versus pasteurization, it's only at, let's say, I don't know, I think it's 90 degrees or whatever it is. Um, so it's not as cooked. It's just a cleaner, nicer, fresher taste. So I think it's more so just like different markets and different like consumers. That makes so much sense. <laughs> okay, we're going to go on to fill in the blanks. I'm always late to blank. Always late to. I'm not late. I'm really not. That's why it's so difficult. I'm an on time person. You're always late to nothing. Yes, that's the one. Blank is how I temporarily escape. Sports. If I could go anywhere right now, I would go to blank. Greece. I want to try blank. Snowboarding. I deserve a gold medal in blank. Um, I deserve a gold medal in. Staying hydrated. (laughs) I'm sensing a theme here with the water. (laughs) (laughs) Michelle, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. I've learned so much from this episode. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's that time. We've reached the end of another show. Did we get your stomach growling? Head over to kitchenconfession.com for more recipes and foodie finds. Plus, you can check out ami.ca forward slash kitchen confession for all the latest on the podcast. Be sure to leave a rating and review so we can keep bringing you more episodes you'll love. Our producer and editor is Matt Agnew, and I'm your host, Mary Mammolini. Thanks for listening. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit ami.ca.